Greetings one and all wherever you are in the universe and welcome to the latest episode of an Espresso Shot of Confidence, the podcast that explores all aspects of confidence, challenges taboos and unhelpful narratives, and empowers you to be awesome, loudly and proudly. I'm your host, the Master of Awesomeness, Ashley Griffiths, and it's time to settle in for the next however long this episode is. So grab yourself a coffee, grab yourself a cup of tea, because today we're going to do a deep dive into mental health, especially from the perspective of a male. And that's what all the episodes throughout the month of November will be all about. So it's International Men's Day on the 19th of November. It's an event that raises awareness across the world for issues that men face. In recent years, there's been an increased focus on male mental health. And the increasing levels of support that are out there is absolutely crucial. Due to the shocking prevalence of suicides in males around the world, almost two-thirds of every recorded suicide around the world is by a male. And it's estimated that we lose one man to suicide every single minute of every single day. That is scary. That's a brother, a husband, a son, a colleague, teammate. And in the vast majority of cases, and I've seen this personally in the last couple of years, those that are left behind are left wondering, well, I didn't notice. I never knew that he was struggling so much because those people were walking around with masks attached to age-old notions of what it means to be a man. According to Mind, in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health problem of some kind each year in England. And I bet that those numbers are conservative at best. And a big part of that is down to the fact that there are still so many males that do not and will not ask for help. This contrasts to women that, according to the stats, they're more likely to be diagnosed with depression, but also 10 times more likely to get the support they need. In a recent study by the Men's Health Forum, it was reported that a large proportion of men would be embarrassed to take time off from mental health appointments. And that's assuming that they'd even got to the point of booking an appointment, getting to the point of saying, I feel crap and I need support. Things need to change. They truly do. And that's why over the coming month, I'll be sharing my journey and sharing the journeys of other men that took the time to say, I feel crap. I need help. And then having the courage to go and get that help. And I know, certainly, help is not something that men are particularly good at asking for. The notion that a man has to be strong and that they don't want to be a burden 
creates such a heavy stigma. Language such as, you need to be a real man. Big boys don't cry. Are you a man or a mouse? Stop being such a girl. Man up. Suck it up. Are still so prevalent in today's culture. So it comes as no surprise that many men don't want to speak up. They don't want to share because they're getting messages saying that to speak up, to show emotion, to admit that you have some form of mental health condition by being stressed, by suffering from depression or anxiety, that that somehow is a weakness and makes you less of a man. However, by not speaking up, by keeping things buried, that puts you in a feedback loop. And that is where the trouble truly starts. As men start looking for coping strategies that cause even more damage. Alcohol, drugs, eating, gambling, sex. And then there's keeping the mask on. The mask of strength, of masculinity, of being a real man. That can lead to even more levels of stress. Because there's no way to decompress. There's no way to admit that you're struggling. And I can tell you personally, the simple act of saying, I feel crap, provides so much relief. I know in my journey, I wish I'd done it sooner. It took hitting crisis point where I had voices going around my head telling me to end it. It took getting to that point for my mask to slip and to pick up the phone and say, I need help. I'm not doing good. I'm worried. And the people I reached out to, did they judge me? They were massively supportive. And yes, I mean... (laughs) There is that temptation sometimes that people will try to cure you or heal you or wrap you up in cotton wool. But generally, I I just said to them, look, I just need to speak. I need to speak. I just need to vent. I just need to let it out. So it's not just in my head. It's not just bouncing around. And another thing, when you keep things stuck inside... They have a tendency to manifest physically. I know for me personally, I've had years and years of problems with my stomach and throat because I did not speak up. I did not give the space for my emotions to properly process, and I didn't speak up about them. So that may come across as woo-woo that then I had physical symptoms within that area, but I don't see it that way. Trauma remains in the body. Gabba Mate talks about this all the time. How we hold trauma within our physical body. And if you don't find a way to let that out, in a healthy way, I might also add, it causes untold damage. In some cases leading to cancers, arthritis, heart disease. That's the danger of stress chronic stress, chronic depression, because it impacts your immune system. And a lot of the time, 
by talking about it, by letting it out in some way, shape or form. You don't necessarily have to talk about it. There's numerous therapies out there now that bypass the whole talk therapy side of things and actually go deep into the root, into the subconscious, things like hypnotherapy, TRE, EFT. Um, there's even some form of electrowave um, therapy out there now that bypasses the whole thing, even things like muscle testing. But by letting that out of your body, whichever way, be that talking, be that through energy work, exercise, alternative therapies, you give your body a chance to heal. You give your mind a chance to heal. You create space for something new. Now, if you hold that within you, it eats you. I got an IBS out of that. I have no doubt that there is a distinct link between my mind and my gut. Absolutely. When I'm stressed, I have stomach problems. When I'm not stressed, when I'm not depressed, when I'm <laughs> feeling good, I don't tend to have as bad stomach problems. When I'm struggling with change, when I'm struggling with uh, anxiety, I get sore throats. I lose my voice. Now these days, now that I speak up and I've shared and I've gone into therapy and looked at that, it doesn't turn up nearly as much, nearly as strongly. Because I'm listening to my body. I'm actually dealing with the challenges, the traumas the root causes of the depression and anxiety instead of letting it eat me alive and relying on distractions to numb the pain. And that involved facing it head on, admitting first that I had a problem. And I did. I was depressed. I was anxious having panic attacks while taking orders for pizza at a table, sitting on a subway, going to meet friends, having a conversation with friends while we were waiting for a table, waiting for a train. Worrying that I might jump in front of it. Having to hold back, having to physically hold on to things to stop me, to bring me back into the now. And all of that was stronger because I just thought, I'll suck it up. I'll get past it. I know what I'll do. I remember one night, for example, I was in Tokyo. I had a panic attack that just didn't stop. But I was determined, I was determined that I was going to enjoy my day. I had a whole day planned. I was going to enjoy it. I was going to go for lunch. I was going to go grab a couple of beers. I was going to go to the jazz bar, have a couple of beers there. I sat in those bars. Terrified in pure panic. My body was so alive with anxiety. And 
I was like, no, I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I'm going to battle through. I'll be all right. I'll have another drink. I'll have another drink. And it took a lot of drinks that particular night to bring me back down to earth. And I'm not sure if it was the alcohol that day or the fact that luckily a friend of mine reached out. She was looking for a friend. She needed to vent. She was struggling. She reached out to me and and she shared what was going on. And I listened to her. But the whole time I was listening to her, I was totally wired. I was moving around. I couldn't sit still. And I think it was in that moment, seeing the relief that she got by saying how bad she was feeling. How weird she felt. Questioning if she was normal. And just listening and being there, supporting her. I think it was the next day I picked up the phone and said to my mum, I think it was my mum, yeah, my mum was the first person I called and said, Mum, I'm in bad shape. And that moment, I've made it a point of sharing, of being, of not fighting. I want to share this with you. I've just finished reading a, a book by Matt Haig called The Comfort Book. Now, Matt Haig has written a lot about his battles with depression and panic attacks. He basically became homebound. It got that bad for him. And eventually his outlet was his creativity, his writing. Um, and he's written, like I said, extensively about depression. Which certainly coming from a male's point of view, certainly got a lot of eyeballs. Because it was unheard of, you know, until recently that males would be that vocal in the public sphere that they had these challenges. And then there was this bit in the book where he talks about gaining power from looking his demons in the eye. And he was referring to panic attacks. Now, when a panic attack happens, you just get, your body gets overwhelmed by adrenaline. You're looking for threats everywhere. It's like red alert, red alert, red alert. And the temptation then automatically, physiologically, you get into a fight or flight. Now, in this example, you start fighting your feelings because you're looking around. It's like, I'm in, I'm in a bar. It's dangerous here. You, you end up getting trapped in this feedback loop because the signals are just not matching your physiological response. And one of the most liberating things I found, and this is what Matt Haig was alluding to in his book, was the moment that I stopped fighting the panic attacks. Stopped fighting them. I focused on being in that moment. It was the most liberating thing. Instead of fighting it, it's like imagine a wave. You're on the beach. You're out at the sea. You're on a, a paddleboard or surfboard or whatever. Or you're just floating. You can hear this wave coming in. This light wave coming in. And you know it's going to wash over you. Now in that moment, you can take a breath. 
put a smile on your face and go with what go with the wave let it wash over you feel that refreshing water lapping against your skin or you can fight it you can take a big gasp of air and end up with a mouth of seawater and start panicking because you feel like you're drowning and that's exactly what a panic attack can feel like but when you go with the wave when you just let it wash over you let it reach its conclusion and realize that you haven't died that nothing's trying to kill you that things are okay power the fear's got nowhere to go the panic's got nowhere to go and in that moment you can gain it's it's like the calm after the storm you feel so much peace Matt Haig said in his book and I'm going to quote him here the most powerful moment in life is when you choose not to be scared anymore because in that moment you're jumping outside of the feedback loop that, that's so easy to get in when you have depression and anxiety it's so common to be depressed about the fact you're depressed, anxious about the fact you're anxious, or anxious about the fact you could be anxious if you actually went out. I know for me on a personal level, since the pandemic, for sure, my social anxiety got out of hand. And I'd spend a lot of time thinking about all the things that could possibly happen if I went out, all the bad things. You know, would I have an IBS attack? One of the symptoms of IBS is you can have a bit of a dodgy uh, bladder as well. Would I piss myself? What would people think? Would I have a panic attack while I'm doing the down dog at yoga class, for example? And, you know, it sounds ridiculous when you think of it, but when you're in that feedback loop, they become, these things become huge. And that's one of the things that, again, talking help massively with help massively with being able to talk this through in therapy talk this through with friends talking it through with with colleagues talking it through on on social media forums and in, in certain groups that i'm part of you realize that you're not weird that other people they have their doubts and fears as well you find as well just by, for me, on a personal level, just by talking about those things, you gain some peace. Because for me, for the longest time, I, I felt with my depression, my anxiety, I felt like I was some sort of weirdo. Because um, I felt it from a young age. I was always prone to the melancholy. And I'd isolate myself. And I immediately thought I was weird that coupled with the fact i had childhood epilepsy as well very easy to see how you get stuck in a feedback loop now i had no one to talk to about that and it wasn't until i had a mental breakdown at 18 and got frog marched into therapy that i finally started talking but it wasn't until much later that i truly engaged in the therapy let me reflect again back on that that weirdness and I, I've heard this quote so many times by Lily Singh. 
how uh, she described depression. She said a big part of depression is feeling really lonely, even if you're in a room full of a million people. If we pull that back to the, the male perspective again, where you need to be strong, you need to be buff, you need to have your shit together all the time, it's very easy to see how people wear masks. Masks that then the people around don't see the pain inside. You know, I still remember when, you know, back in 2016 when, when I made the calls and stuff speaking to a friend and she said to me, why the bloody hell didn't you tell me sooner? I had no idea. She had no idea. I was struggling because she'd see the happy partying Ashley. She didn't see the guy that was falling apart when he was alone. He was plagued with self-doubt and self-loathing. He was having panic attacks on the subway to go and meet her for those beers. And she didn't see the guy that was crying on the subway back home afterwards when the alcohol <laughs> did its thing. And nobody was watching. And the tears came. And those masks that, that we put on that, that, as males, and it's not just males, it's a, it's a, I think it's a societal thing, but certainly in the prevailing winds of culture, we're encouraged to do this. There's certain vocabulary, certain expectations of males, how they should be, how they should be showing up. So it's very easy for them to wear masks. And Paulo Coelho, um, fabulous writer for Brazil, he addressed this and he, he said, like, all stress, anxiety, depression is caused when we ignore who we are and start living to please others. So if we pull that back to the beginning, when we believe as a male we should be a certain thing and we do not want to be a burden, then we're going to neglect our thoughts, our feelings, our self-care, our mental health, our physical health. And no matter how well you're able to do that, and you'll go and find solace in the externals. You'll use work as a distraction. This is a classic one. I know I did it. <laughs> I know when my, my sister passed when... I was depressed, I, like back again in 2016, when I was going through all those problems, work was a relief. Like I said, no one at work had a clue, because I was always happy and jolly and engaged and immersed in the experience of work. So work was a distraction, so I was working all the hours in the sun, so I didn't have to spend time alone. It was the same when I first came back to the UK. All I did was work. I didn't go out. I didn't socialize. I just worked. Because it was a distraction. I didn't have to look internally. But like I said earlier on, if you don't go inwards, if you don't address those feelings and emotions, you can guarantee at some point they will show their head. Be that in a mental breakdown, a nervous breakdown physical symptoms, heart attacks, chronic stress syndromes, anxiety attacks, 
feeling like you're having a heart attack when you're sat at your desk when in fact you're having a panic attack because you're just so wound up so bloody tight and it doesn't help that we're living in a society and and things are changing but not nearly enough but within this society the prevailing messages are that you can find salvation externally be that in a gym at a restaurant with a perfect body, with a fancy car, a successful career. It's all superficial. It's all superficial. And it's nothing more than a distraction. Take alcohol, for example. For the longest time, certainly in the UK, I know in certain other countries this was the case, a man's ability to drink was seen as a defining feature of their masculinity. So it comes as no surprise that in the UK, one in 12 men rely on alcohol as a coping mechanism. But I'd say those figures are a conservative because that assumes that men are telling the truth. That have actually said that they're using it as a coping mechanism, that they've even admitted that they're stressed or depressed or anxious. Now, I know for me on a personal level, I used alcohol massively as a coping mechanism. Because as I mentioned, when you're in that feedback loop and you're anxious about being anxious and you're using the alcohol to numb that, to be less anxious so that you feel confident, you get stuck in this feedback loop. And then by the time you realize it, or at least, <laughs> or at least this is what I happened, you're way over the limit and then you become a drunken mess. And your feelings may or may not make themselves known that night when you're around people but they certainly will the next day when you wake up feeling guilty with a hangover and your systems in depress in a depressive state because alcohol does depress the system in significant amounts geez i remember the amount of times where i'd get that little rush after that initial rush i'd wake up the next day and i'd just be a mess i'd be an absolute mess i'd feel awful guilty and horrible and I wouldn't want to leave the house for a couple of days I'd just be humiliated yes for a few moments there was solace but ultimately was the hangover worth it no but it took me goddamn 20 years to actually snap out of that and realize that alcohol wasn't the solution because ultimately the alcohol was a, a sabotage was self-sabotage I was protecting myself from the emotions, from the feelings, and also protecting myself from what was the root cause of these issues. Because people would get used to seeing the drunken Ashley and they wouldn't, you know, want to get involved with him. They wouldn't want to deal with that stuff. So I was able to stop myself from getting hurt. Even though I ended up feeling lonely as a result of that. <laughs> Like I said, you end up in just really fucked up feedback loop. But when I really tapped in and learned about things like self-compassion, learning to love myself, learning to care about myself, learning to take care of my physical health, the alcohol became something that I didn't need. And that is the first part of healing when it comes to mental health a admitting that you've got a problem that you're struggling that you feel crap and then from there 
asking for help, asking for support, and showing some love inwards, seeing what you actually, seeing your strengths, the fact that you asked for help, that's courage and that is courageous. It, it shows massive strength of character. Now, I know, again, still to this day, a lot of men, certainly older men, talking's really not their thing. Now, like I said earlier on, there are many other ways that you can support yourself and get self-care. So here's a few of them. Like I said, you've got CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. That is a talking therapy. But you could do TRE, hypnotherapy, where you don't actually have to talk. You don't physically have to talk. They use these different modalities to contact your subconscious and clear out some of the crap that's inside of you. There's now, there's many men's walking groups. And yes, the invitation is there that you can talk about your mental health problems if you want. But you're with a safe group. There's no judgment. There's no expectation. You can just go to walk and listen. Again, knowing that you're not alone can make a massive, massive amount of difference. Exercise, actually exercising. Go, go for a walk with the dog. You know, just this weekend, I had my sister's dog. We went for the longest walk and it just felt so great. I didn't have my headphones in. I was totally immersed in the moment. And we had a great time. He was happy. He got a long bloody walk. I got a long walk. We hung out. And because he's a cute dog, I got a lot of extra attention. <laughs> So I'm going to take him out next time I go for a night out. But anyway, joking aside, writing. If you don't want to talk about it, there's the option to write. Again, well, don't girls just do diaries. No, men can do that as well. I've often used poetry. When, when I didn't speak myself, when I didn't actually speak, I used poetry and writing as a way to articulate that. Yes, I hid me in characters. But it was a great way. And I remember myself saying this as an 18-year-old or 17-year-old. I'm going to try and turn a negative into a positive. Really helped. Really helped. Laughing, smiling, watching a movie. Matt Haig talks about this in his book, The Comfort Book. He watches funny movies. It brings him into a different state. If only for a few minutes, it shows him that there are good things in this world. That it's not all shit. <laughs> Long baths. They're great. Snuggles with animals. They just know when you need a snuggle, don't they? Saying no, saying yes. And saying I feel crap. Do it. Just once. See what happens. Because, believe me, as someone who has come out the other side, quite a few depressive episodes, there's always light to the dark. Where there's despair, there's hope. And you are loved. You're valued. You're respected. And you certainly, certainly won't be a burden. If you say, you know what? feel crap there'll be someone out there might be your family might be your wife might be your colleagues might be your best mate be someone who'll get it 
and we'll be there for you and we'll listen. And that first act, that opens up a healing journey, man. Because the world's just such a better place with you in it. And on that note, I just wanted to share with you, if you don't feel comfortable in saying you feel crap to people around you, there is support out there. Here in the UK, you've got the Samaritans. They're available 24-7. They're available on 116-123. There is someone there that will listen. No judgment. They'll listen to you. And they'll signpost you to support if you need it. In the USA, you've got a suicide and crisis lifeline that's available on 988. There are people there waiting to support you. And that's it for this episode. So wherever you are in the world, stay safe. Take care of yourself. Yeah, why not? And don't forget to be awesome. Take care. Much respect. Peace.